0: Hello and
1: welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life.
0: It has to be major challenges. How, how did you figure out how to actually achieve
1: that? Well, I mean, you basically treat it as you would a food dish in a, in a catering environment. Um, you know, we had, we had seven, seven of us that were making them. Three of them were at the bar that people could see as they were arriving, um, at, at the, uh, you know, the events down at our Meadowood golf course, it was just outside of the parking lot. As they arrived, you can either have a glass of sparkling wine or you can have this oversized, beautiful, um, French 75 over ice. Um, and because it was 95 degrees, most people opted for the, uh, (laughs) for the, for the drink on ice. But, um. Yeah, I've designed about 25 different bar programs, and since then, you know, I've been at Meadowood now for for six years, and um, most of what I do is is cocktails for weddings and large corporate events, and things like the wine auction or the Bottle Rock Platinum Lounge, and I've I've spent, you know, this this last six years really working on my batching systems and figuring out ways to deliver um, a lot of cocktails very quickly. You know, with the weddings, uh, the critical moment is usually right after the ceremony. So we might have two or 300 people that are there at Meadowood uh, for the wedding. And, uh, you know, the couple says, I do, I do, and everybody cheers. And now, you know, we have our bars set up. The last thing you want is, is to have two or 300 people rushing those bars. So what we do, what we encourage the couples to agree to this, and they almost always do, is um, we'll trade pass, um, you know, cocktails. Um, for people to pick out one or two. And so we, we basically created these huge wooden boxes that have crushed ice in them, and we form molds inside of the, uh, the crushed ice using um, kosher salt. So that basically makes a hard little mold. And then you put all the glasses inside of the molds, And you, you know even on a day where it might be 90 or 100 degrees, you have about 45 minutes in the shade um, to start building the drinks out. And so by the time you know the ceremony's over, we have two or three hundred cocktails ready to go and all we have to do is take them out of the ice wipe off the bottom and put them on the trays and then our servers go out there and form kind of like a human line between where the ceremony was and where the cocktail hour is going to be and so guests just walk up and they grab you know grab a drink and uh, you know we'll also pass a little bit of wine too because not everybody wants a drink but um you know People tend to go for the more colorful ones, you know, the, the Palomas with the beautiful grapefruit and lime wheels and a, a, an edible flower, like a nasturtium or bath, natural buttons on top. A lot of people like the cucumber Collins, which we make, which has organic cucumber vodka and yuzu juice. It's like a tall Collins cocktail, you know, with um, a little wild huckleberries floating in it and cucumber slices and other slices that we stain with the cucumber juice and pickle them and that, that's in there. You know, we try to do really festive, colorful things Um, and people, you know, they generally, you know, we're encouraging them when we do the tastings, the wedding tastings, you know, we'll taste through 20, 25 different drinks. And we tell people, you know, your wedding's in August, it's going to be hot, almost guaranteed. Let's do stuff that's filled out with ginger beer or soda. Let's, let's have a refreshing drink. And then we show them how we present them. Of course we can make tweaks on all of them, but for the most part, people just want something that's, that's, uh, that's fun. Uh, that's, 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 you know, refreshing. That's going to be appropriate for a wedding on a hot day, and and that that in that spirit, it, it goes back to Cyrus. Where where at Cyrus, everything you put in front of people, you really wanted it to be compelling and beautiful. You would hope that people would crack out their camera and take a picture of it. But this was several years before you know Instagram even came out, so it was really it wasn't that. Um, nowadays, it is more about things like Instagram, and people wanted to take pictures of everything and post it. Um, but that's part of going to a wedding is you know people. You know, people are taking lots of pictures. They do want to, you know, they do want to see beautiful things in, in the beautiful place that is Meadowood. So, uh,
0: yeah. Certainly every drink I've seen from you is feast for the eyes. I was jealous momentarily, and, and you're describing it because I remember that cocktail, now I want one. Um, since we onto on to logistics a little bit of the formidable feat that you <coughs> met with I was curious about something. I read an article recently that talked about the behind the bar architecture and everything laid out properly and handily to the bartender and it was designed, of course, by a famous bartender. I should remember his name, but like you have having a <laughs> little amnesia today, um, hopefully I'll think of it, but he's a very famous personality that, um, you know, his core business is basically designing bars. So I'm curious how it plays a role in your world. I mean, I know that every winery that I've visited that was designed by the actual winemaker is always very fun. is beautiful and very, but also highly functional. It must apply to the bar as well. Is that correct?
1: Well, it's different in every case. I mean, sometimes you're, a lot of times you're going into a space that used to be, a, it was, a, it had a different incarnation, you know, it's already been a restaurant space like one time over multiple times over. And you know, when you're, a new group takes it over they're usually on a very limited budget there's only so much you can do mm-hmm. uh, you know in terms of actually removing refrigeration and getting yes. custom made bars and all that and i mean sometimes a lot of times i have dealt with brand new spaces and i have given my input as to what would be the best best way to design it um,
0: optimal scenario right theoretically
1: well I, you know i think i could i could make just about anything work as long as you know i'm having ongoing discussions
0: with the, with the people that
1: are um, you know, both designing it and, and, you know, the people that are going to be operating it. They changed a the law back in, I think it was 2010, that, that allowed bartenders, at least in California, to start pre-batching spirits. So this also, uh, believe it or not, like prior to this law changing, you couldn't even infuse vodka with cucumbers or whiskey or vanilla beans into whiskey that was technically illegal like the law was you know if, if you open up a bottle of liquor you have to put it into a glass you know you can put it into a mixing glass and mix it with things you know you can pour it directly into a glass but you're not allowed to take that and another spirit or even like a piece of produce and put it in a separate receptacle like that was not legal um but that changed i think it was in 2010 and when we opened up uh, because that law changed when michael pasden and i opened up the goose and gander program in 2012 we um after speaking with the owner andy um, you know we told him we wanted to have a a drink program that had 50 pre-batched drinks so what pre-batch means is you're not pre-batching juice you're not pre-batching anything fizzy but you're taking any stable ingredients like relatively safe shelf-stable ingredients uh, things that will become shelf-stable once you cover them in a lot of alcohol um, and you pre-batch it. So look at a take an old fashioned for example. So you've got bourbon, you've got um, our our simple syrup that we use. We infuse with cinnamon, star some and clove, and we had two kinds of orange bitters. Once you combine all those things, because it's still so high alcohol, it's it's completely stable. It'll it'll last indefinitely as long as you don't get it too hot. So that drink, which used to take you know, it was a four step drink, now becomes a one step drink. Um, Our Manhattan had a bourbon, a rye, an Italian vermouth, and three kinds of bitters. That used to be a six-step drink. So that now became a one-step drink. Uh, When you do have cocktails like a margarita, for example, which, you know, traditionally has a tequila, you know, um, we used Cointreau, um, a little agave nectar, then fresh lime juice, we would combine the first three. And then it became a two-step drink rather than a four-step drink. Putting those batching systems in place Um, like the day we opened, we had 50 batch cocktails, literally the day we opened and we were able to turn them out so quickly that all of the other, um, you know, considerations that you make for refrigeration and layout and and infrastructure, all the rest of it, that thing really changed, you know, the way that I was, you know, I ended up consulting from then on. I put those batching systems in place at 15 different bars and they always work. They make things so much more efficient. And you couldn't have done that prior to 2010 because it technically wasn't legal but you'll see a lot of i think if you run a high volume bar you need to be batching at least some of your cocktail programs certainly the things that you're making over and over and over again because um you know i think i think the days of waiting 15 minutes at a bar for a cocktail while a bartender does their shake you know looking for all the bottles and all the rest of it it's it's um you know I, i don't think there's any reason to do that you know, because you're not sacrificing quality at all you're getting the drink out faster the bottles themselves actually have um you know the recipes on them um, as well as the type of glassware you're supposed to use and the garnish so it makes training very very easy so when we we're opening up with 50 drinks on our menu rather than people having to you know completely rely on their memory for this thing that they're just starting to do recipes right there and you, you're really just shortening drink making times I should say, you know, you can't—the shaking part, the stirring part, the garnishing part—all of that—that that doesn't change. It's simply the searching for bottles part that changes. And at Martini at uh, at and Gander, we had, we still have only two wells. So how do you how do you service a restaurant that seats over two hundred in the busy season with only two wells, two bartenders? You have to you have to be making some 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 efficiency changes there, and it really worked. I mean, even in our busiest nights, the drink times it was like less than ten minutes. I mean, it was awesome.
0: It really is. Yeah. And perfect. Each one comes out, you know, I'm sure none of the drinks were coming back. I can't imagine that. Um,
1: I've we hope not. But again, when you design a cocktail program, if things do start coming back, you have to be the first one to say, all right, this, we wanted this to work. It's not working. You know, and that's when something like Yelp actually does come into handy. You know, everybody has their opinion. But if you see the same thing pop up on Yelp over and over again, no matter what it is, whether it's a service issue or a food issue or a drink issue, you've got to be willing to say, okay, maybe this thing isn't as good as we thought it was, but um,
0: Yeah. What is the R&D type of devising a cocktail? Like, can you give us a timeline, a little bit more detail on what happens when you decide when you're writing a cocktail menu, you decide on a specific combination of flavors that's synergistic with the cuisine and seasonality and such like that. But How long does it take you to actually perfect the recipe?
1: Well, I think, well, sometimes you find, you know, the garnish first. <laughs> Maybe there's some beautiful garnish that's growing at some farm or, or in my backyard or, or in the wild. And you're like, wow, oh, that thing's so beautiful. I want to create a drink that, that, that has that as a garnish. Sometimes it starts with the spirit. Sometimes you're at a distillery and you you, you try the spirit first. Uh, some maybe something new and you're like this is so this is such a delicious you know um uh, liquor like i want i want to work with it maybe it's the juice maybe it's winter and it's you know there's this fresh crazy paris lime juice or rancor lime juice and you're like god i gotta make a drink with that you know it can start in a lot of different places and then you just you know when i'm doing the R&D process um i mean paramount to everything else you want it to be delicious like the drink has to be delicious yeah. Can do the prettiest thing in the world. You can have the best intentions in the world. You know, I can spend two years working on a fermented peach puree, which I've never done by the way, but um, you know, you could. And if it—if after two years, you finally crack it out of the, out of the container and it just is, doesn't taste good. You have to be willing to throw it out. You know, I think you paramount to everything. Deliciousness is, is, is the most important thing. And that goes for wine food and certainly cocktails. Um, And you have to i think you you got to take your your ego out of the process as much as possible and test it on friends test it on regular guests test it on your superiors whoever you know whatever whether you're at a a hotel or a restaurant or whatnot and just be you know learn you know people that always tell you everything's delicious maybe those aren't the people you really want to listen to maybe you want to listen to the people that in the past have said you know what Mm, not so good um yeah, and that's a tough thing sometimes, you know. I I say a lot of times I'll have a younger bartender um, you know, come up come up to me and be like, Oh, I want you to try this drink. I'll eat a bar somewhere and I'll try it and they'll be like, What do you think? And I'm like, honestly? It's a little sweet. Like you can back off on the sugar, you know, you put so many other good things in there and I think you know, that's a tough thing to say sometimes, but but I I've always appreciated
0: that kind of criticism over the years.
1: And I would certainly you know, I'm happy to give it to to youngsters also. <laughs>
0: Do you feel that every spirit has kind of a perfect counterpart? What I'm getting at is that tequila and lime, like almost everyone would acknowledge that those, that's a good pairing. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And I'm not necessarily talking shot, it just, it somehow works well with acidity. Does every spirit have that? Kind of go to very simple combination.
1: With citrus specifically, you think?
0: Just anything. Like something that you would instantly go, vodka and, well, if you only had to work with very limited ingredients, like in a home environment, you would be safe because vodka always goes with this thing.
1: Well, vodka doesn't really taste like anything. So I think... Uh, I mean, that's its legal definition, I believe, is odorless, colorless, (laughs) tasteless spirit. So yeah, you could...
0: Like fruit juice, right? Any fruit juice would work.
1: I mean, really anything. I, I mean, I think there's certain spirits that are better with specific citruses, you know. Um, tequila is usually better with lime than mm-hmm. it is with lemon. That doesn't mean it's going to taste terrible with lemon. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whiskey usually tastes better with lemon rather than lime. You know, again, not going to be horrible, but for some reason that's, that, that, that tends to, to be the case. You know, the, one of my favorite, favorite books is The Flavor Bible. And I think for anybody that's trying to up their home bartending or trying to become a professional bartender, that is an essential book because, you know, yeah, there, there are things in there like tequila and whiskey and, you know, all of these other things, uh, spirits. And they will tell you, as you know, anybody who has the flavor Bible knows, like the best possible flavor, things that work really, really well. And those are always in larger letters. And then they have things in smaller letters, ingredients that are also complementary, but maybe not as absolutely magical as, as the ones in, in big bold print. Um, so I think I, I would defer to that book. Very cool. About classic pairings.
0: Yeah, no, I just, would really funny if a consumer aspires to build their own bar. Most of us at one point that like spirits have an informal collection of things that really don't go together most of the time. So how to do it smartly. <laughs> is, is mean,
1: cost-effectively is what you're saying.
0: Cost-effectively and smartly, like when you can utilize and interchange different spirits and bitters and maximize what you have. So you don't have to have 30 things that you can create different combinations from maybe a dozen things.
1: Well, I would say when we are able to go back to bars, which we all hope will be very soon. And we don't know what it's going to look like, but hopefully we're able to actually sit at a bar and talk to a bartender. Um, you know, find find one that you really like that you connect with, and um, you know, you could even write it down on a piece of paper. Be like, hey, this is what I have at home. Cool. What can I do? Is there anything really tasty I can do with this? Could you make me something with, with these things that I have already? And then I would I would offer the same advice that I have to the young bartender that might come up to me and be like, hey, I want to be a bartender, and they're twenty one and really don't know anything about drinks at all. I would say go out and. Don't ever have the same drink. Go to the places that have good reputations. Do a little research, you know, look at the top 10 things on Eater or Yelp or whatever it might be. Um, talk to friends. I mean, I'm sure people already have favorite bars and restaurants. Go there and, and, and just don't have the same, same thing twice, you know, really try to expand, you know, your, your knowledge of cocktails. And then when you find something you like, buy the stuff, you know, maybe, maybe you go to a bar and you have a, a paper plane, which is... Uh, which is bourbon, Nonino Amaro, Aperol, and lemon juice. So that's four things. Lemons, that's easy. So there's three things. Do you want to invest in a bottle of bourbon, a bottle of Nonino Amaro, and a bottle of, of, uh, of Aperol? Well, you don't know until you try it, but that's a really epic drink. One of the few actually really original modern kind of classic cocktails that I've had. Um, it's pretty, pretty well known now. But you might try that and be like, that's, that's delicious. Well, it's not worth it for you to buy those three bottles of liquor. You no. Know?
0: strategy. Take notes, right? Pay attention. Might as well. You're there. If
1: well, you- if you really like it, if you're passionate about it, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? You know, um, and, and, and I think over time, you'll find the things you really love, and you'll build a beautiful home bar, you know, something like uh, green chartreuse, which I love on its own. You know, some people might taste it and find it, you know, like appalling. I mean, I, I think it's one of, you know, if I could pick my favorite, favorite, favorite spirit to have on its own besides like Great Old Calvados, would probably be the, the VEP super age version of green chartreuse. And that's you know that's gonna be a $140 investment. However, the one that's less expensive, which is I believe now probably about 50 or $55 a bottle, um, is an essential ingredient in many classic cocktails, including The Last Word, one of my favorite classic gin drinks. Um, so to make that drink, you would need the bottle of green chartreuse, the gin, uh, you're going to need fresh lime juice and maraschino liqueur. Again, another thing that you might not necessarily want to invest in unless you found that the cocktail, the classic cocktails that are made with maraschino liqueur or, or green chartreuse is worth it. You know, but if you, if you go to a bar and you have, you know, an aviation or a last word and you're like, that's so delicious. Well, now it's worth it for you to invest in that because, you know, if you're using three quarters of an ounce of green chartreuse in, um, you know in a cocktail and that bottle of green chartreuse is 25 ounces you now have enough in there to make math has never been my strong suit but over 30 of them you know in that 55 dollars investment so you can now make that drink over 30 times in your house for your friends and uh or for yourself and, and that that makes it worth it but that's the thing go out there you know, you know just don't order the same thing all the time if you really want to expand your your, your, your breadth of knowledge and, and um really get better at doing it at home or as a professional don't have the same thing for it.
0: what are some of your favorite places to drink at like who are your preferred mixologists <laughs> if you I'm gonna, were i'm
1: gonna start i'm gonna start crying right now because <gasps> you know over the last couple of months just not being able to go to san francisco and go see my friends in their bars and their restaurants and um you know, it's just, it's really sad. I, I, I never took it for granted, I'll say that, but I, I am going to appreciate it so much more when I'm able to do that again when we're all able to do that again. Um, you know, uh, locally, Dukes and Dielsberg is, is fantastic. Those were the folks that I worked with at Spoon Bar back when we opened that in 2010. You know, the Cappy and Steven and Laura and Tara. Um, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's always such a pleasure to go to their bar um they it's, it's really i mean the drinks are delicious whether you want something basic or one of their seasonal things or one of their classic renditions mm-hmm. or the things that Cappy puts on tap but it's really just the service you know it makes everything taste so much better they're so warm and sincere i don't judge anybody you know you go in there you want a beer and a shot well actually we get a beer and a shot special right now and then you know they've got the beautiful you know seasonal punches and sangrias that that, um, that are put together there and yeah, it's just there's so much passion and thought put into it. But it's really about, you know, just it's a, it's a, it's a local bar yes. and they welcome guests and visitors, of course, but it's really about, you know, it's really about a, you know, it's a community bar, which is what it was for years and years when it was John's and, John and Zeke's. You know, when I moved to, to town in 2005, it was kind of this local sports bar. It was open during the day and at night um, and it was just they had fantastic bartenders. And those guys have actually taken over where the, the B&B bar was in town. You know, so Mikey and Tony are still there. Um, they've just relocated the whole time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I really miss being able to walk in there. And yeah, and you can get they've been doing some cool like bottle cocktails to go and can cocktails to go. But you know, you walk up to this little window and everybody's wearing a mask. And it's like, I want to go inside. Can't yeah, right now. But um, yeah, I mean, in San Francisco, I mean, there's so many, so many, but um, I really love what they're doing at true laurel for sure um what christopher Longarria does it um case mm-hmm. fantastic both of those bars really like cerebral um nuanced, you know beautiful cocktails and that's those those are the kind of places where even though they're they're well true laurels smaller than caseico but um they actually they're the right size where they can take the time and build everything from scratch while they're talking to you you know um Places like ABV in San Francisco, they've got their logistics laid out just right, and their staff just right to where they can,
0: they don't necessarily,
1: they don't need to batch anything, they can just, you know, put it together while they're talking to you. When you get into these much larger places, that's when I'm a a huge, huge proponent of using batching systems. But that's, those kind of places, you know, uh, particularly, um, you know, ABV and um, and, uh, True Laurel, but an essential part of that experience is is the bar. You know, it's really the bar is the primary thing, and then everything else is, is important, but it's sort of the secondary consideration. And both of those places have excellent food. You know, I don't want to diminish it, but they, I think they're very they're sort of like cocktail focused restaurants. You know, um, and Kefiko obviously has incredible food too, but has a much larger seating area. But yeah, um, yeah I miss I miss those three for sure. I'm going to see Steve Wiles over at Smuggler's Cove. Miss that guy so much. You know, we still kind of stay in touch on on Facebook and everything. But, you know, again, that place, it's all about the drinks. They don't even have food and they make everything from scratch. But they never let more than, I don't know what their speed is, probably like 50 people was the maximum you can fit in there, maybe a little bit more. And they have just the fastest bartenders in the world and they turn it out like really quick. They never, you know, there's a line outside. They only let so many people in at once. And um, yeah, I really miss that spot. Obviously, Incredible rum program, too, that Martin Keith put together. One of the biggest, I think, anywhere. You know, they have, like, a rum bullion society you can join with. They'll taste you through, I don't even know, a couple hundred rums, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, I miss that spot a lot. Um, There's a lot of them. I mean, even just having an Irish coffee at Buena Vista, that never gets old.
0: (laughs) Oh, I I hear that. Um, You mentioned that you um, have... Been in charge of 25 bar programs, which is a lot. And I'm I'm only familiar with a few of them, so now I'm dying to find out what they are. And there's some really interesting ones, like the Bollywood. Um, that's a really fantastic backstory. What a great affiliation! But tell us more. Where can we find your programs?
1: Well, currently, most recently, um, I did design sort of an Indian-inspired cocktail program at Bollywood Restaurant in Santa Rosa. Um, I worked on the program for Ramen Gaijin, which is in Sebastopol. Um, Those are more sort of um, Japanese-inspired cocktails. If you come to Meadowood, I do not do the drinks for our Michelin three-star restaurant. That cocktail program has always um, been designed by the by their team. Um, Most recently, Sam Levy, who's now got Fern Bar over in Sebastopol, which is fantastic. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, but I am in charge of all the cocktails that you might have at the pool at Meadowood or at our grill restaurant or casual restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. I work with the team there on, on those drinks. Goose um, and Gander, which has been open since 2012, myself and Michael Pasden designed that drink program. The core program there is still our recipes. Um, however, the bartenders that have been in charge of it since then and the ones that are currently running it, uh, including uh, Emma, who's the bar manager now, makes fantastic cocktails um so you'll see a lot of their a lot of their drinks on there but those are probably the yeah. big three that, that you can easily get to yeah
0: Yeah. know when things open up I would suggest everyone that has access shows up in one of those places because a you know the cocktails are amazing but it's also such a good time it's beautiful it's intimate you know I know that goose and gander sometimes can get busy but it still feels like you're in the living room it just has this amazing feel to it um i know you travel quite a bit and i think that probably serves as inspiration in many respects to this visually stunning creatures that you make um tell us a little bit about that your your wanderlust
1: my wanderlust um (laughs) no i think for for a long time um certainly since i started at meadowood you know there's a season which lasts about nine or ten months um and and we all that work at meadowood we we all work very very hard um, not just in the events and weddings department but but, you know on our property in general um and and things inevitably slow down significantly in january it's just um, the way it goes in wine country anyway and so i that's when i take my vacation time and I, i try to travel um to different parts of the world um again try not to go to the same place twice <laughs> uh during that two-month period you know and and it's always a, I mean, i'm basically just you know copying what anthony bourdain is doing for years and years and years you know You pick an interesting part of the world has an interesting culture interesting cuisine um some places a little adventurous and um you know go there sometimes i travel alone sometimes um, with friends um and just try to experience it. You know, hire local guides, eat local food, do your research, go, just have an amazing time. So, you know, last last year I went to six different countries. I went to Spain, Mexico, Senegal, Argentina, Morocco. Um, you know, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, years prior, I've been all over Southeast Asia. Um, a lot of time in South America, in Brazil, Uruguay. One of my favorite places. If you like meat, go to Uruguay um yeah i ended up stalking francis malman for a week uh, there was a group of four of us that did it um and ate at a bunch of his restaurants down in argentina and uruguay it was incredible um yeah i mean i love traveling you know that's that's kind of been my my uh in my life for a while you know work really hard about 10 months out of the year travel as much as i can um in that period in that when, when that when that slow season starts and then you know try to try to um Cook at home a lot with friends. You know, invite the winemaker friends over. I'll do the cooking. You know, nobody drives. Let's just have a good time, eat and drink too much. And, you know, it, it's just a, I live in a wonderful community here in Healdsburg. You know, so I have a lot of a lot of friends, most of whom are in the restaurant and wine business, but I have an eclectic group of friends, and so that's that's really what it's all about. Yeah.
0: It sounds pretty phenomenal. And Senegal, Uruguay, my God, talk about exotic destinations. Um, Certainly, the community is lucky to have you. And by community, I don't just mean the wine country, but I think because your mindset is so forward-thinking and so guest-centric and so community-centric, all those values, I think, are so near and dear to my heart and a lot of other folks. And I think you've given us a lot of actionable, practical advice of what to do when you find yourself behind the bar. And again, I want to strongly suggest that you get your butt out there the moment you're allowed and support whatever bars you favor or find one and fall in love with one because these guys work so hard and they're so creative and there's so much value that they bring to your life, just elevating a human experience. So please do that.
1: Yeah, Um, and in the meantime, you know, um, there's some great how-to, obviously uh, a lot of bartenders because they can't work in bars right now are doing a lot of great how-to videos. Um, Naren Young has one, I believe it's called Fork and Shaker. Absolutely excellent. Um, the Dukes people um, are doing them right now, Dukes in Healdsburg. Kathy's been doing some great how-to videos. I've seen Johnny Raglan from the Absinthe restaurant group in San Francisco. Right. Um He's doing some cool stuff. So in the meantime, even though we can't sit at a bar, those are three that I think are just absolutely excellent. So you might check those out.
0: Those are great reference points, and it's been so great chatting with you. We're going to have to do it again once things open up. The I would
1: love that. We, we will be able to share a drink in person very soon. I have no doubt. And I'll be looking forward to that.
0: I can't wait. Thank you so much, Scott.
1: My pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of palate Exposure
0: featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.